0: We have a love problem. We have a love problem. I think in many ways it's a problem of definition. To quote the great philosopher Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, <laughs> you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Everything you need to know about philosophy, you can learn from Princess Bride for whatever it's worth. But We, we have a definition problem with love, right? Because as a, as a culture— We believe love is one thing, many things actually, and from the scriptures perspective, God has said this is what love is, and those two worlds are often not on the same page. I would say most of the time not on the same page when it comes to what is love. So we have to deal with the fact that we have a problem in defining love because of the culture in which we live. Every culture has a problem defining love. We just have to figure out what are the specifics to our culture's challenges to understanding what love is in light of what God has said it is. But we also have a problem with love, not just in definition, but in reality. Because even if you can clear up the definition issue of, okay, what is love actually, right? Then there's the the problem of actually doing it of living out. And again, as uh, we learned from DC Talk, love is a verb, right? It's not just Some of you are too young to get that joke. That's terrible, man. I worked hard on that. But, you know, but love is not just a feeling. Love is not just an emotion. That love is seen in action. And living out the calling to love one another, as we find in First John chapter 4, it, it is not easy. And there's a reason why there's a lot of of real estate in First John given to this issue of love because we have a problem defining love and we have a problem actually living in love, actually doing love. We know uh, from Matthew 22 that we are called by Jesus to fulfill the law by faith-driven uh, obedience to two fundamental commands, to love God with all that we are and to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. We learned that in Matthew 22. That's our, our church's vision statement, actually. Just Matthew 22, that statement, and, and the, the conversation with Jesus and, and the, uh, the expert in the law there, where Jesus says, on, the whole, the, on these two commands, the whole law and prophets hang. Like the whole thing can be summarized with these two commands. Love God and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. But the problem we have is sin gets in the way. Sin corrupts our definition of love and sin corrupts our our ability to live in light of love. And so in this passage uh, this morning in 1 John, the Apostle John addresses hypocrisy with regards to love. Specifically this issue, and we keep coming back to it, that there were people who had, had actually left the church community that John is writing to, uh, but there were people who were saying, we believe in Jesus, we know who Jesus is. In fact, we have the secret knowledge of who Jesus really is and what truth really is. And, and so they had said, this is spiritual truth, and we know God, and we love God, and yet in their lives, they were not loving others. There was a fundamental breakdown in living in light of this the supposed love that they had. And John says, that's just not like a little problem they need to tweak. That is evidence that they are not followers of Jesus. This is a a problem, this hypocrisy with regards to love. And so here's where we kind of get into 1 John 4, verse 7 this morning. If we claim to love God, but don't love people, we have a problem. If we claim to love God, but don't love people, we have a problem. A problem that can only be addressed by submission to God's word and by God's spirit doing a work in us. So I don't know where you're struggling to love others. I would imagine we all are struggling in certain ways to love others this morning. But what we need to do as we get into these verses this morning is be willing to let God show us where we're failing in love and let him teach us through his word. This is what love really is. And this is the calling to love others. So let's get into verse 7 here and find out uh, how the Apostle John addresses this. He kind of starts a new subsection there in verse 7 with that statement, Dear friends, beloved fellow Christians, right? Children of God. Dear friends, he says, let us love one another. And that's basically like the main thought throughout the whole chunk we're going to look at. From 7 all the way down to 21. It's just let us love one another. We need to be loving one another, especially in the body of Christ. But notice what he says. He says, Let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. John says, Love, real love, okay, not like a worldly uh, spin off, you know, faux love, false love. He says, Real love comes from God. So, Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus, let us love one another with this special love. Why? Because that love, the real deal love, it actually originates from God. It comes from God. So because love comes from God, everybody who loves with that genuine, real divine love, they they are from God. They they are born of God. So when he says that at the end of verse 7, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He's saying, if you are, have been born of God and know God, then you actually will love. So he's saying that's the mark. So he's not saying anybody who loves generically, even if they don't believe in Jesus, they're in the family. That's not what he's saying. and We'll see that very clear as he works through the, 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 the thought process this morning. But at the outset, he just says, let us love one another because love is from God. So he highlights that love is from God. And if you know God, meaning you're in relationship to God by faith, then you will show this love. You will demonstrate this love. So he comes right at the issue here. If, if you are a Christian, you're going to love others. So let's do it. Verse 8. He says, by contrast, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay, now just work with me here, okay? John has just said positively, let us love one another because love originates from God. And if you know God, you're connected to God by faith, then you will love. Okay, that's how it works, okay? But then he says, by contrast... If you do not love, if you're, if you're refusing to love uh, others in the church, if you're refusing to love others in the world in the, in the special way that God calls us to, right? if you don't love, if you're not doing that, then you don't know God. So here, it's like, here's a red flag, a caution to say, listen, your claim to be a follower of Jesus might be suspect if you refuse to love others. The one who does not love God, uh, excuse me, the one who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Now, love is not all that God is. This, This little statement gets butchered, okay, because people grab that out of context and they just, they reduce God to only being love. There's no way. We, you know, that's, that's not how it works. But what we can say is this. Whatever the world says about love and its definition of love and its understanding of love, they, they cannot claim to be the originators of love. And truthfully, their definition of love, it, where it's faulty, it's faulty because it doesn't match up with God. Because love comes from God because God is love. Which means in his very essence, God is marked by a special, distinct, uh, heavenly love, we would say, or divine love. It's love that's out of this world Literally, right? That's the way we got to think about it. And so he says, God is love, meaning it's fundamental to his, to his character. I just, a little side note here, but there are many aspects of our relationship to God that are byproducts of creation, right? Because God created the, the universe, now certain things are true, but, but God's love predates creation. In fact, in the, in the gospel of John, Jesus says in John 8, he's, he says this really interesting thing, that the Father loves the Son, Did you know that for eternity past, the Father, Son, and Spirit have shown love to one another perfectly? That's how far far back love goes, okay? So you think about it, you go, wow, God, it's not just that God loves or God loves us because he created us. No, God is love. It is a foundational part of his identity. We read from Psalm 103 this morning, and encourage one another with those words. In Psalm 103 you have a quotation of God defining himself, describing himself in the book of Exodus chapter 34. That's it's quoted like 8 or 9 times in the Old Testament. But man, like that definition where God says this is who I am, he's he's compassionate and gracious, abounding in loving kindness. Those are all love words in there. In, the, in that section of, of Exodus 34 and in Psalm 103. God is love. And because God is love, if you claim to know God and you don't love people, you got a problem. Your claim to know God is suspect. Verse 9. He goes on. Let's talk about what love looks like. He says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. It was shown to us in this way. All right. Let's talk about it. Well, how, does it how did he show us his love? God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. What do we want to learn about this? Well, first of all, John circles back to the gospel and he, he roots and grounds our understanding of what true love is in the gospel. And he says, here's what love actually looks like. God sent his one and only son. The sending of the son is meant to be seen here as costly, costly. That there was this cost involved, that God in sending Jesus in the incarnation, that there was, uh, there was a, a price to be paid, and it was a dear price to be paid. And so he sent his one and only, only son into the world with an intentional redemptive purpose so that we might live through him. So God says, here's what love is, everybody. This is what it looks like. Love is me sacrificing to rescue you. That's what love is. Now, let's talk about our problem with definition, okay? Often, in, uh, because of bad romance flicks, we, we reduce love to what? Help me out. What do we reduce it to? Emotion. Yeah, emotions. just me. Physical relationship. Romance, right? right? A good date, an epic date. I'll tell you what, epic date in, in Lindsay and I's history was the day we got engaged. I put all my, ba- my eggs in that basket, okay? I worked hard on that date. You know why? Because I'd seen too many movies and i'm pretty sure if i hadn't spent all that money and done all that effort she still would have said yes what do you think well yeah, we can talk about it later anyway i don't know maybe maybe not we can't define love by just terms of romance or feeling here now that's a that's a part of it okay but love is way bigger than just romance this is really important and so to talk about love God says, let me just explain what love is to you. He doesn't say, I look at something in creation that's lovely, or maybe more theologically, I look at the other members of the Trinity, and I see what's infinitely beautiful in them, and I affirm that that is good, and therefore I have a positive response to them. So love is not just attraction. Love is not just emotional response, an emotional response to something good or something beautiful. No, God says, you want to know what love is? He says, look at the mission of the gospel. I sent my son to rescue the world, which was in a state of disrepair. Right? The world's broken because of sin. There's, um, there's a faulty understanding of love where we, we define it as a response to something good or beautiful, right? Um, but God says, actually, actually, divine love, like the real deal love, Is when you see something broken and you choose to sacrifice to redeem it. It's an initiating love. It's not a response to beauty. It's a response to brokenness that says, I'm going to rescue. God says that is the baseline for understanding what love is. He goes on in verse 10. It, he actually kind of defines it twice. So this is what God's love was made visible in the incarnation, verse 9. And then in verse 10, he says, love consists in this. You're like, would he just explain it to me? This is it. He's just, this is it. This is what love is. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is a fundamentally false way that people think about their relationship to God, especially as regards love. This is what we think. We think, okay, if I get my act together and clean myself up, and then if I love God and I prove my love to God, then God will see what is good in me, and he will respond to that goodness, and then he will love me. That equation never works because we're not that good at cleaning ourselves up. No offense on a Sunday morning, right? But we just, we just can't get there. But we, we think, oh, I can clean myself up and then I will do these things and then God will look at it and he'll see my efforts and he'll say, oh yes, I will love you because of your effort. But this is what the Apostle John says by the inspiration of the Spirit. Love is this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. There's a temporal priority here. A chronological priority. Before we ever turned toward God, God sent Jesus. He designed the mission, right? In eternity past, he said, I am going to rescue these people. And before we ever turn to him, he sent Jesus for us. And Jesus didn't just come to hang out with us. He didn't just come to be like a little helper for us. He came to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I want to unpack that term for you just briefly. Atoning sacrifice means a wrath-bearing substitutionary sacrifice a sacrifice that takes the place of someone else in order to satisfy wrath for a wrong done or for wrongs done. That is what Jesus did as evidence and by definition of what love is. We didn't love God and then he loved us. He loved us first. And he sends Jesus to rescue and to redeem us. That is love that is out of this world. The fundamental idea in our passage this morning is really clear. It's we love because he loves. We love because he loves. But that love that we are called to must be a distinctly divine love. We love because he loves. Now, this first section, verses seven to ten, we kind of, there's some aspects to thinking about God's love and how it's different from. The world's love. For example, first, we learned this morning that God's love creates our love. Love comes from God. So if we're going to really love others, we can't love people with this kind of fake love that the world defines. we got to love people with the real deal, this, this divine love. And so we need to reclaim love from bad romance movies. Can I get an amen? Right? Let's, let's reclaim the, the love, the real deal. Let's define it as God defines it. And crucially, crucially, our love for others Work with me here. Our love for others cannot be a response to their loveliness. Okay? Could get awkward. I talk about Lindsay again. So uh, my love for Lindsay at the outset was pretty shallow. It was, she was a very beautiful Christian girl, and I was basically sold. So that was about it, right? The more I have grown in my knowledge of Lindsay, the more I've realized how ridiculous that was. Because she's an amazing human being, and I love her. But that love is not predicated on today just her attractiveness or the things of her personality that I liked, right? Because here's the deal. Everybody loves what they like. Are you kidding? Everybody loves what they like. But this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he says, let us love one another like that. Where we don't look at people and say, I will love you if you perform. I will love you if you obey. I will love you if you change this or change that. But we just say, I love you, and I will love you, period. With a redemptive, initiatory love, with a love that says, "I'm going to, I'm going to run with you, and I will sacrifice for you." There, there's this is the foundation of understanding what true love really is. God's love creates our love, which means our love is not a result of our own, like you know. Uh, intelligence, or creativity, or something like that. No, it's it comes from God. But secondly, God's love defines our love, in that it's not just a response to people changing themselves, or be, or being attractive in, in uh, personality, or in, in beauty, or whatever. But no, instead we choose to love with sacrificial love. That's a redemptive love. So love that isn't like God's love is shallow, it's selfish, It manipulates and uses people. And when things get hard, shallow love runs for the hills. Right? Think about what John just told us. When things got hard, Jesus took on flesh and died in our place. That's love. So he's just, he's like, we got to get it right. We got a love problem. We got to get it right. We love because he loves. I wonder Does your treatment of others reflect this kind of love? Or do you love people when it's convenient? When it suits your purpose? When you're in the mood? Thirdly here, God's love is on display in the gospel. God's love is displayed in the gospel. Again, we cannot... This is why when push comes to shove only Christians can actually live with this godly love because you cannot understand what love is outside of the gospel. There's no way to abstract that and just make it generic. Like he says, you want to talk about love? We have to talk about the father sending the son to rescue the world because that is the the, again, the baseline definition of what love is. And so God's love is displayed in the gospel. and Therefore, we are called to mimic that love. And to say, yes, that is what love is. And therefore, that's going to determine how I treat others. I mean, this, is, this goes way beyond just a romantic relationship. This, this goes to every aspect of our lives where we're called to love God with all that we are and love others as much as we love ourselves with a sacrificial giving love. And maybe you're here this morning and like you've never come to a place where you realize that God loves you, period. Like he just loves you. It's not in response to you changing yourself or cleaning yourself up. And maybe you've hesitated to turn to Christ. Maybe you've hesitated to believe the gospel because you felt like you weren't good enough. Well, I got news for you. You're not good enough, but Jesus has come to redeem you in that state of brokenness. See, it's not we loved God, but he loved us. So maybe, maybe you need to repent of your sin and turn to Christ. And I would encourage you to do that because Jesus loves you more than anybody else ever could. And it's, and it's seen, it's made visual in his death on the cross on our behalf. Now, when it comes to following Jesus as a Christian, failure to love others is not an option for us. Watch verse 11. He goes on. Dear friends, again, another little subsection here. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, which of course he did, we also, and he doesn't say should <laughs> love one another, And he doesn't say just we should just love one another. He says we must love one another. You can't claim to know God and believe the gospel and then not let that kind of love transform your life with how you treat others. It's like we can't do it. We've got to. We must love one another. If God loved us in this way, which of course he did, then we must also love one another. Verse 12. And then he has this little interesting theological argument. He says no one has ever seen God. And probably I would just add here in the translation, but if we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. What's the contrast? He's like, listen, nobody's seen God. Nobody sees God. But when we live lives transformed by divine love, that is actual evidence on earth in space and time that God exists. People will never see God, but they will see you. And when they see God, This kind of divine sacrificial love that is redemptive and not responsive. It's not, oh, I respond to your beauty. No, it's redemptive. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to stay in the game here. I'm going to sacrifice because this is what the love of God is. And therefore, this is what my love for you is going to look like. When we live that out, people get a little glimpse of who God is in us. The way John says it here, he says, if we love one another, God remains in us. Right? His presence continues in us, and his love is made complete in us. His love continues its work and, and is evidenced by the change in our lives. So whoever's out there saying, I know God, but they're refusing to love people. Nope, that's not, that is not, gonna, that's not the real deal. It's also not good enough to say, well, I love, but have no doctrinal basis of your love. No acknowledgement of the gospel, which that's kind of where our culture has swung. Oh, yeah, we love, but there's no, no doctrinal foundation to it. John says they go together. They go together. If you're born of God, then you must love one another. And God's love is made complete, right? Or it progresses in us right? as we grow in it. And that puts his love on display to the world. He goes on. This is a sign of, of faith. Verse 13. This is how we know, one of the ways we know, that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And I like what John does here, because at this moment, you're maybe going, okay, I'm starting to wrap my mind around this concept of the sacrificial nature of love, the redemptive nature of love. Okay, we're called to that. We love because he loves. But seriously, how do I do that with my family? How do I do that with these people at work? How do I do that with the people in this church? That kind of deep sacrificial commitment love, that love that says I'm not running for the hills, I'm sticking in it, and I'm going to give and give and give even when it costs me much. That kind of love. How do I do that? And John says, just so we're all clear, it's actually the Spirit of God working in us that makes this possible. He says, it's evidence that you're a Christian. This is how we know we remain in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And the little part he's talking about here is this love. Because when we love like God loves, that is the Spirit's work in us. So we don't like take credit for it. We did it. You know, we're so sacrificial. It's like, no, the Spirit of God is leading me to sacrificially love you. And in verse 14, he goes on, and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Now at this point, he's answering skeptics. Well, wait a minute. How do you know that's what really, really what love is? Like philosophers have gone crazy trying to figure out what love is, right? And Hollywood keeps revising the definition of what love is. Well, how does John know really know what love is? He says, uh, I saw it. Like this is once again, reference to the apostolic witness. We were there. And John uniquely was there because he's, as far as we know, the only male disciple of Jesus who was at the cross. And he says, we have seen and we testify that the Father sent his Son as the world's Savior. John says, I was there. Remember chapter 1? I touched him. I heard him teach. I saw the miracles, John says. I know this is what love is. And so he goes on in verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God remains in him and he in God. So he's back to the confession of the apostolic faith here, faith in Christ, because you can't divorce what you say you believe and how you live. If you believe in Jesus, then it's going to affect your life. If you don't believe in Christ, then there's no love there. So we're connecting the dots. And again, I would just caution you against those two extremes. The one that John's uh, community was facing where we say we believe, but we don't love. And we'll talk about in a minute about how that looks in our culture. But then also this, this situation where we say we love, and it doesn't matter what we believe. And John says you can't do that. If we confess, right? Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, fully God, fully man, God remains in him. The Spirit of God remains in him, and he in God. What's the result? Love transformational love. Watch the first half of verse 16 as he kind of rounds this out. He says, and we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Right? We have come to know and come to believe the love that God has for us. So if we just pause there, John says, it's not just that we believed in Jesus, but we actually have come to believe that Jesus has defined love for us. So we've actually embraced this idea that Jesus, in his sacrificial mission in the gospel, he actually shows us how to love one another. What do we, how do we going to phrase that for our benefit this morning? We'll say it this way. Spirit-led love. Spirit-led love for others is what? Is consistent with the truth of the gospel. It's in line with the truth of the gospel. It can't be separated from it. And we can't do it without the Spirit's help. Okay, well then how does he help us? The first and primary way the Spirit helps us to love is when he uses the Word of God to teach us. Right? These moments where the Spirit says, let me show you what I'm calling you to. Here, here's what it looks like. Sacrificial love. The Spirit will also spur us into action. Maybe you've been in a circumstance where you were in relationship with somebody and something was going on, and you had this, just this urge, and it kind of came out of nowhere. It's like, I need to sacrifice for this person. And when that happens, and you're a follower of Jesus and that happens, that's the Holy Spirit just saying, hey, here's your opportunity. Love them. Sacrifice. Get your hands dirty. Get in there. The Spirit uses the word, spurs us onto action. The Spirit also will convict us of selfish love. The Spirit will, will burden us to repent of love that's self centered. It's just me focused love, love of convenience, shallow love. And it's interesting. There's no genuine love outside of the confession of Jesus as the Son of God. That's powerful. It doesn't mean that people who aren't Christians don't experience love. People do experience love, but they don't experience it in its fullness, right? And so there's a difference here. And John says, listen, if you're really going to experience the fullness of God's love, and if you're going to live in light of it, it's rooted in the confession of Jesus as the Son of God who took on flesh and was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That means that our love for others is a real-time reflection of God's love, like John said, and it's evidence of his work in us. And if it's not there, it's a problem. Faith and love go together here, two sides of the same coin in some senses, right? Where faith in God results in love in our lives. And when we trust God by faith, we sacrifice. The the biggest objection to loving this way— loving the way Jesus loves, right? Sacrificial, redemptive love. The biggest objection to that kind of love is how much it costs, right? Pastor Ryan, we can't love like this. I don't have the time to love like that. I don't have the resources to love like that. I don't have the energy to love like that. Plus, I just don't have the desire to love like that. Look at them. You want me to give up this, that, the other? right? That, that's, you're, you want us to sacrifice for that? I'd barely do that for people that share my DNA. Can I get an amen? Yeah, like, you know, like, that, I'm not, like you're expect, a lot of people in this church share DNA, actually. That's, now that I'm thinking about it. But anyway, that's a whole other topic for another day. But, you know, it's like, I, you, what, it costs, it costs so much. It costs so much. But what faith says, faith says, God provides for me, And in this moment, I need to sacrificially love this person. And so I'm not trusting them, and I'm not trusting me. I'm trusting God. And so I'm going to show them this love. You see, it it ends up being built on a reliance on God. It says, I'm willing to make this sacrifice for this person's benefit. Again, it's a redemptive love. Trusting God leads to sacrificial love. Can I give you an illustration of this? From Acts chapter 9 with Barnabas and, and Paul. So, um, The Apostle Paul, you know the story. In Acts 9, it's the story of how the Apostle Paul becomes a believer. Remember that he was uh, initially persecuting Christians, and he was like leading the charge in that, one of the driving forces uh, in uh, Jewish religious leadership to persecute the church. He was going up to Damascus uh, from Jerusalem to persecute the church in Damascus. We know about the Damascus Road incident. On the road, Jesus appears to him in this bright, blinding light and says, you're mine now. By the way, great analogy of how Jesus saves all of us. You're mine now. You now belong to me, right? He says, you're mine now. So then Paul's blinded. He goes up. He meets with the Christians in Damascus. The Lord had paved the way there. So they kind of knew something was going to be going on. And so he's healed of his blindness, all of that. So then he goes back to Jerusalem in chapter 9. Now remember, this guy, like in the churches, there were pictures on the wall. Stay away from this guy. Okay, like that was on the wall. We, 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 we presume. Okay? We don't have evidence yet, but we're going to find it. It's there, right? So it's like, stay away from this guy. So that guy shows up at the church. He's like, hey, can I join your membership class? Right? I mean, the suspicion was huge in the leaders of the church. And in Acts 9.27, I mean, if love is a response to people who have done lovely things, if love is a response to attractiveness, if love is a response to quality, if love is a response to obedience, should they love this persecutor of the church who's maybe potentially been personally responsible for the deaths or imprisonments of their friends? No! But Barnabas, (laughs) Barnabas, like, he says, hey, listen, you're going to go with me, Paul. And he puts his arm around Paul and he says, Hey guys, listen up. I need to talk to you about what's happened in Paul's life. And he actually is the buffer... And he could have been run out of the church by being associated with an enemy of the church. He could have been laughed at. He could have been demoted. He could have been shamed for what he did. But Barnabas said, I'm going to sacrifice my own reputation. And I'm going to risk in this relationship with the church in Jerusalem. I'm going to risk and I'm going to be the liaison to help Paul transition in here. And I'm going to commend Paul to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem to allow him to be a part of it. Why would Barnabas do that? Because he loved him. Because he loved him. Not because Paul had earned it. Not because he was guaranteed a positive result. Just because he loved him. And I just wonder what our lives would look like if we were more like that where we were willing to sacrifice and to serve and to invest in others. Not because we'll get something out of it, but just because, well, because he loves. And we love because he loves. I just love that example of Barnabas there with with Paul in Acts 9. You see, the love of Christians is a genuine, it's a sign of genuine faith, and it's a sign of God's transformative work. Let's keep going in verse 16. We're in the middle of verse 16, right? I'll read from the top, though. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And then he, he returns again to this main idea. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. So again, love is the evidence that you're the real deal. That God dwells in you by his spirit, and that you indeed are a Christian. So if, you're, if your life is absent of this love, we've got a problem. But watch verse 17. He goes on. In this, love is made complete with us, or among us, or in us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Okay, we got to unpack this. Let's start at the end here, though. As he is, so also are we in this world. John is talking about the love of God for the world as seen in Jesus. And how did Jesus function in the world? By sacrificing himself for the benefit of others. As he is, so are we in the world. Meaning as followers of Jesus, as Uh, little Christ, you know, Christian means little Christ, like as little Christians, right? As little Christ, we actually sacrificially love others for their benefit. As Jesus functioned in the world, so we function in the world. And that transformative, redemptive, divine love, when we live like that, that's evidence that we are in the family. And guess what? That means God's love is being made complete or perfected in us or maturing in us. And that leads to confidence regarding the day of judgment. John says, you know what? When you're actually loving others, it's cool because you don't have to fear the day of judgment because you know you're a part of God's family. Why? Because the love that's in your life is evidence and it testifies to that truth, which then leads to, again, and often I think a misunderstood verse, verse 18. He goes on and says, there is no fear in love. Fear of what? Fear of judgment by God. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. God's perfect love. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Um, If you're going to have this this life that says, I affirm doctrine, I check the doctrine box, whether it's secret doctrine or just in general, I check the the doctrinal box, and yet your life does not have transformative love as as a regular occurrence in it, you should fear the day of judgment. That's what John's saying. If you don't love people, you should be scared of Jesus returning. Because when Jesus returns, that means you will be judged. And you will be found, not to be a part of God's family, not to be covered by his atoning sacrifice. You will be found in need of judgment. And so he says, that's not not how it works. But, But with God's love, this is what's so crazy. There's no fear in God's love. There's no like recurring, oh man, am I going to be judged, like motif. He's like, that's taken care of. Instead, perfect love drives out fear of judgment. God's love for us drives out fear of judgment. Why? It's because it's dependent on his love for us, not our love for him. And because he has been the initiator and the redeemer, we don't fear judgment. Even though we could enumerate many reasons why we should be judged. We don't fear his judgment because his perfect love has driven out that fear. And there's evidence of that in our transformed lives as we love others. So there is no fear in love, right? Perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment and you don't have to fear the day of judgment. That's why we we sang that song this morning. It's such an encouragement, right? I mean, when you think about... um, now, why this fear and unbelief? You don't have to be afraid. You don't, have to, you don't have to be afraid that God is going to renege on his promise, that God is going to take away the benefits of the gospel. His perfect love should drive that fear out. But the one who fears, the one who fears God's judgment is not complete in love, meaning they haven't really understood and embraced this concept of God's love for them. And there's room for growth in that. How does all this work? Verse 19. Well, we love because He first loved us. It starts with Him. We love because He loves. Again, it's God's initiatory, redemptive love. And then in verse 20, getting practical again. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John's back to the God's not being visible part, right, in his, his argument. And he says this, you can't, like, you can't be living in relationship with others and see people in need and refuse to sacrificially love them, right, with God's divine love and say, and, and, and basically says, and hate those people. Like just be annoyed by them or want to see them fail or like reject them. It's like you can't be doing that and then say over here, I love God. You can see these people and you don't love them. And then you're going to claim you love God whom nobody can see? He's like the argument doesn't hold weight. If you you genuinely know and love God, then you will genuinely love others. That's the way he talks. And so this hatred of others is not going to work. We cannot accept it. Verse 21, he links this back to the command of Jesus. I think going to Matthew 28, maybe Galatians 5, possibly Romans 13, maybe James 2. There's a lot of places where this is, rebu- this is stated, but here's verse 21 of 1 John 4. He says, and we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. We love because he loves. You know, God's love transforms us so that we are able to love by his spirit. We love because he first loved us. That means that God has redeemed us to the extent that we now are able to reflect his love. And again, it's that evidence of faith in God. But the deal is, we have to acknowledge we have to be changed to love with God's love. Nobody naturally loves with divine love. I think it was my friend Spurgeon that said, Love is an exotic plant. It is not a plant that will nourish, nourish naturally in human soil. Right? It's not just going to grow in you. You're not just going to all of a sudden be like, hey, you know what? I'll sacrifice everything for other people. Awesome, right? It doesn't work that way. There must be a transformation that happens to us. Now, maybe once in a while, we might do something sacrificial, but to fundamentally radically alter our lives so that this love drives the bus every day? No. God's transforming work has to happen. We have to be changed. And I think it's fair to acknowledge that there are areas where we might need more change as followers of Jesus, Right? Where the Spirit says, hey, you know what? Here's an area where you're not into sacrifice. You're into self right here. And you need to acknowledge that. You need to, and you need to love. Because He loves. God's love awakens us to fulfill the greatest command. Both of them. <laughs> God's love awakens us to love Him. There's a great line of uh, thinking in the Bible that explains that nobody loves God unless God brings us to life spiritually. Like we're dead in our sins, but because of of God's saving work, he does a miracle. He regenerates us. He he causes us to be born again. This born language that you've been born of God. We are now come to life spiritually so that we can love him. So God's love does that to us. But John says, but that's not all it does to us. It also awakens us to be able to love others in this new and, and fundamentally different way. We can, we can reflect his sacrificial love. God's love awakens us to love him and to love others. I wonder if it's doing that for you. There are two results of God's love that we see, I think, in this passage. The first is confidence, not fear, genuine confidence, right, in the Lord, that we can be confident in the gospel, in God's grace, and it's real. Like we can actually like, hold on to it because of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid. And if you're here and you're struggling with fear of condemnation, I just want to tell you that God loves you. And his love is is seen in Jesus, who died for your sins and rose from the dead. You don't have to fear God's judgment if you're a believer in Jesus. God loves you. He's proven it. Also, second result, I think, of this love is genuine love in us, not hypocritical hate. Now, let's talk about this for a minute because this is where I think much of the rubber meets the road for us. There is a danger, especially in churches like ours, where we value the Bible, right? And we're big on on God's word for a reason. But there's a danger. There's a danger in churches like ours where we will love doctrine and hate people. And that's a thing. It's just not a Christian thing, right? So we just have to be careful that we are not people who love doctrine and hate people. And that applies, I think, to others within the church family, of course. That's maybe the primary line of application. But in our current circumstance, I think we might just have to acknowledge as our culture divides more, right? We're aware of this, painfully aware of this. Our culture divides more as we divide more over so many issues and and issues we should divide over, frankly, right? Legitimate disagreements, but we divide more. It's very tempting for us to look at the other side and say, I hate those people. Because of their sin. And I hate those people because of what they're doing to our schools. And I hate those people because of what they're doing to the government. And I hate those people because of what they believe. And I hate those people because of what they want to teach my kids about gender. And all. I hate those people because, I, and we might hate. And John says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not love. Right? That's a self-serving love where you say, because they're not into what I, what I know is right and good even. Right, I'm, I'm not going to love them. If God treated us that way, we'd still be sinners without a Savior. But in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I wonder if, and it's hard, you know, it's just really hard because we have to acknowledge the challenge in the views, right? And say, yes, there are things I don't believe and I think they're wrong. I think they're heinous in the sight of God. and Yet at the same time, I got to remember that God came to save them the same way he came to save me. And yeah, we we don't divorce love from doctrine. We don't say, hey, you know what? It's just about love, man. And we don't want to like kind of water it down to the point where it's, and frankly, many churches are doing that today, where they're just saying, oh yeah, it's just about love and acceptance and everybody's got to love each other. No, it's not love without a standard. It's not love without a doctrinal foundation, but we got to be careful there because we can't say we know God and then hate these people. And we can't just love everybody without genuine knowledge of of God and, and who he is and what real love is. Obedience without love is not obedience. It pains me to say this. I was, I was dragging some family around New York City, showing, giving them my Dutch tour of Manhattan, which is a great tour. Incidentally, if you've never done that, great history uh, of the Dutch settlement of uh, Lower Manhattan. Uh, Save that for another day. But we were we were traveling around, lots of tourists around, and there was a street preacher there, which is not all that common uh, these days. But there was a street preacher there, and uh, which does happen from time to time. And uh, I don't have anything against street preaching when it's genuine preaching. But this person wasn't preaching. They were screaming at people. And that is not Christian. I don't care who you are. When you're screaming at people as if they're your enemy, that's not love. And so to scream at people rather than to talk with people, I, I thought this is crazy. Because now these people who are experiencing this, they're going to associate the gospel of Jesus Christ with this guy who's screaming at them. And now I gotta, we, gotta, we have all this extra work to do evangelistically right? But you can't say you know God and then hate people. It's not right. You know, there's a disconnect there. Obedience without love is not obedience. Doesn't mean we're not called to obedience, but man, we are called to do it in love. It's funny. Augustine said many, many years ago, 5th century AD, he said, you know, the deal is we're called to love God. We're called to love people. He says, it's the same love. It's, it's not different. It's the same love. It's this divine love that values what is eternally glorious and beautiful in God and therefore is then willing to sacrifice. He said it this way. He said, Therefore, we love God and our neighbor from one and the same love. But we love God for the sake of God. Just because he's, he's eternally glorious and beautiful. We love our neighbors for the sake of God. Because he's eternally glorious and beautiful, we love them. And we sacrifice for them. I wonder, does your life show the divine love of God? We love because he loves. Let's pray and ask God to help us love others. Lord, there's a lot of challenges we recognize in this calling to love you and to love our neighbor. We thank you for this this really wonderful passage where you make it so clear what love is. What true, eternal, divine love looks like. And Lord, we praise you that we see this love in the gospel. Lord Jesus, that you, be, you took on flesh for us. You became our savior by being our atoning sacrifice. Lord, we, we could never warrant that love. We don't deserve it. And we did not love you first. And we confess that together this morning. Lord, we praise you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. We praise you for your redemptive, initiating love. And Lord, we pray that because of that love, you would help us to love others in the same way. Lord, help us to reflect that love to the world. Lord, we pray as we struggle. We struggle with our families. We struggle with people at work or at school, Lord. We struggle with the culture at large. We struggle with neighbors, Lord. Maybe friendships that have gone south. Lord, we struggle to love. Sacrificing time and energy, giving investment to others, Lord, when it costs us. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to love because you love. Lord, I pray that we would think clearly about what love is, even as we face a lot of faulty ideas in the culture. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see, though, that love is not just a feeling or an abstract idea, but it's meant to be seen in action, that we're meant to live in a distinctly different way because of your love for us. And Lord, convict us of our sin. We thank you this morning that that there is no fear in this perfect love. We don't have to fear judgment because you love us. We don't have to fear judgment day, Lord, because of your death on our behalf and your resurrection. And therefore, Lord, we are freed up to continue to mature in our reflection of your love. So convict us, show us areas where we need to grow in this. And Lord, lead us by your spirit. We know that at the end of the day, you get the glory for this transformation in our lives. Lord, help us to love you with all that we are. Help us to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. Because of you, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.